Hey there, it's Callie with her podcast, Lunatic Fringe. So these are stories from the edges of music and media, and welcome. If you've never heard this podcast before, I'm going to kind of reintroduce myself. So my name is Callie, and I am a proud Chicagoan, and so I do this podcast, which is Stories from the Edges of Music and Media. Um, I'm also a musician myself and a writer and I am a business owner and all that good stuff. So what I try to do is just sort of share all the things that I love that have to do with music and media with you. And I kind of like things that are on the fringe a little bit, things that are a little more undiscovered. Um, You will notice too with this podcast, it's pretty darn lo-fi. So you may hear a dog barking. Uh, You may hear me gulping some coffee. You know, it's just that way because I'm not that techy. So today on our podcast, um, I'm going to go over a few things. But oh, that song you heard, um, good luck finding it. Uh, You may be able to find it on YouTube. So in my crate digging exploits, because I'm a big music collector, but I like kind of weird stuff. And uh, so lately I've been fixated on just like obscure bands that didn't make it that I thought really had good potential, you know, uh, kind of like AOR, Adult Oriented Rock. And this was one of the bands I found. It was uh, called the Bliss Band. And this was off an album, Neon Smiles, and it's called Chicago, and it's actually a great song. I was like very captivated by it. And uh, they have another song on the album called Stage Fright, which is also really good. Um, but I, it was like, those are the things I just live for, finding these like weird bands that nobody's ever heard of that, you know, had their moment in the sun. What kind of blows my mind sometimes too is like there are some bands that had top 40 hits. And like you go to look them up and you go to look up a song that you think would be like very easy to find and surprise, it's not. And those are, uh, you know, then those are real treasures too. Um, I think there was a band called Double that had this like, um, this really good song. In fact, you want to talk about lo-fi? I'm going to hike it over. I'm in my front room. It's sunny, it's cold, real cold, like one degree. And uh, so what better thing to do, right, than listen to vinyl? Um, Here's the band. Yeah, it's called Double. And, uh, oh, Captain of Her Heart. It was like, oh my God, that was such a great song. And uh, I'm going to end up having to record um, this album uh, because I couldn't find a cut of the captain of her heart. And I just couldn't believe it because it was like, it was definitely one of those like smoky. It was, in fact, I remember when the song came out, I listened to it on one of these kind of Midwestern afternoons where it was just like really bright, but super frigid and cold. And uh, I remember driving around in Northwest Indiana um, in my Dodge 600 
you know. So anyway, <laughs> that's another story for another day. Um, but today, I kind of thought I'd focus a little bit on my book. <laughs> um, so this book is really going to be a good time for you guys. It's called Chicago Stories, um, An Outsider's View from the Inside. And the reason that I ended up writing it, I mean, you'll read about this in the book and stuff, but long story short, during COVID, I, uh, I ended up picking up, I had a bunch of books that I hadn't had time to read. Surprise, surprise. And so, <laughs> guess what? It was like that weird episode of The Twilight Zone with Burgess Meredith, where he finally has all the time in the world to read his books and then his glasses break. Well, here I was at home, and it like it was sort of like a hoarder's paradise in a way, because <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I have all this time to read. So I pulled out some books, graphic novels that I hadn't read in a long time, listened to a ton of vinyl. I had literally bought a bunch of records and never had time to listen to them. I remember one of the first thoughts I had when I realized I wasn't going back to work. And for a, um, you know, undercover workaholic like myself, I was like, oh my God, like I'm not going back to work. And I mean, it was like, the best of times and the worst of times, because I mean, I was utterly shocked. But then, you know, I had this, like I said, this fat stack of books and everything else. And so anyway, I picked up Dmitry Samarov's book, Music to My Ears, and um, or Music to My Eyes, sorry, Music to My Eyes. Um, and in it, he sketches a lot of different musical venues and artists from around the Chicago, mostly the Chicago area, but some Boston. And uh, then he's got these really wonderful stories. Some are about the bands, some are about the venues that uh, they were being played, like, you know, where he went and heard the music. And the thing that was so precious to me that occurred to me during lockdown is how important a book like this would be. Because if some of these bars and um, venues didn't reopen, I mean, this would really be this really important little snapshot of what that felt and looked like. And he's really good at describing that. I remember sitting in my backyard and um, and feeling very, like I was really, really missing live music, more than I've ever maybe appreciated it in my whole life. And his book made me feel like I was at the hideout, made me feel like I was listening to um, Steve Dawson's band. It made me feel like... I was like back into society again and and all the things that I love that are super city centric you know that uh that very much that my heart beats for the urban lifestyle. I mean, I just really, I enjoy living in a city. I love all the things about it. I grew up in the suburbs 45 minutes in a planet away in Northwest Indiana. Um, but when I moved to the city, I mean, this is what brought me to the city because I wanted to be part of the music and part of the art and the writing and all that stuff. And then to have it just taken away, it was just so weird. And then to have these books come across my lap. So I ended up reading all of Dmitry Samarov's books. I mean, I read Hack. He used to be a cab driver. I read Old Style, all about the dive bars. Um, what's funny is he's not, now I've become... I don't want to say friends with him. I'm acquaintances with him, you know. Um, 
So I've gotten to know him. And, uh, you know, he doesn't strike me as a real big drinker. And so I think it's so funny that he's done such a good job um, of writing about these dive bars that he's worked in because he really captures, um, and it's very touching, you know, the people who own them. When I say dive bars, you know, that's kind of a a misnomer because they're really what they were. In Chicago, there was a lot of local, small neighborhood bars. And um, at the turn of the century, a lot of like the Polish immigrants and people who are coming in from from other countries found a way to make a few bucks. And uh, so they would open these bars and a lot of them were like, not only were they little corner bars, but then they would live upstairs. Like the bar, your business would be downstairs and you'd live upstairs and who knows, maybe you'd have grandma in the attic or something. Um, but there were a lot of them. Um, Zarbar was one, um, Phyllis's musical in, uh, there's just so many all over Chicago. Well, you know, as time would have it, it, they're starting to disappear because the families have died off. Maybe the kids don't want to keep it going. Or, I mean, it's not like you make a bajillion dollars and it's a lifestyle, you know, I mean, you have to be there every day. You have to watch the till. You have to be really invested in keeping it alive. Like Phyllis has done a great job. Clem, the owner, has very like, you know, devoted um, bartenders. He's got a great music scene that comes there. He's actually, I think, done like a 2.0. I mean, if anything, since COVID and even right before COVID, it was almost like, um, it's becoming more and more of a local music it place to go. Um, there's a new place, Golden Dagger. I mean, I could go on and on. This whole podcast could be about that. But back to Chicago stories. So I read Dimitri's books, and now I'm all out. I have no more Dimitri books. And I'm like really missing them because lockdown hasn't ended, you know? And so I started writing my own Chicago stories because um, – as a hairdresser, a hairstylist, um, you know, I talk to people all day long. And a lot of the times, I like to talk to people about their stories and their life and things that are interesting to them. You know, I mean, everybody, you can talk about work if you sit in my chair, you can talk about whatever you want. But a lot of the times people like to be entertained, or we like to share a story. And what better story to share is something that's like common interest. Like it could be the holidays downtown. It could be the bean. It could be the latest concert. Um, it could be a special moment that they had in the city where they went to an event. Like when I went to the Princess Diana Gala, um, I was working the event. I worked for a catering company. So long story short, I had all these like little, I've had a lot of strange tales and in the road less traveled. And actually, I don't know, I think it's a road traveled by many. Um, I have met so many interesting people in the service industry that I'm like, it never gets dull. There's always some spicy stories, especially because a lot of comedians and writers and people like that have to work in the service industry because we need a certain amount of flexibility and free time. So it's a good way to make a few bucks, um, you know, while you're also doing your, your art. But that, needless to say, that can also be, you know, a hard road to hoe. Well, over the years, um, I've just met so many people and had so many cool experiences. So um, I started writing all my stories down. 
Then, as luck would have it, I just thought, what have I got to lose? I tried to contact Dimitri, and he's not the easiest person to get a hold of because he's not into social media or anything like that. So, but guess what? If somebody wants to be found, you can find him. And he does have a website. So I went to Dmitry Samarov. I found an email, finally. And um, and I got a hold of him, and he contacted me back pretty quickly. And I said, hey, I will give you some money if you will do a book cover for me. And he actually was super awesome. Um, and not only did he give me an image for the book cover and the back of the book cover, but he gave me some additional images that I'm going to use for my book. And then there's a story in there about Lounge Axe, which was a very famous bar um, that like the lead singer of Wilco, um, one of the lead singers, his wife owned it. And it just was a really important little, talk about funky little bars. I mean, it was this really cool little enclave in the 90s of hipsters. You know, there wasn't even a term, I don't think, called hipsters yet. And I remember, again, I'm going to tell more of a story when I'm writing in the book and stuff, but I do remember going in there and being like, I'm not hip enough for this. (laughs) I just, I didn't feel like, I mean, I just, it was funny because during the 90s, I was like, Um, you know, it was really kind of the music was very much more like nihilistic. You know, like when I think of Nirvana, it was more like, I give up, I'm not going to conform, you know, why bust my ass if, you know, everything is stacked up against me, I'm just going to, you know, do what I want. And that was more of like the 90s. And I come from more of the 80s generation, fueled by cocaine, And I'm not saying I was on cocaine, uh, but, you know, I'm just saying it was an industry, the music industry, everything. There was, it was like this prevalent, the attitude in the 80s was very much do anything, be anything, don't let it stop you, move forward, you're amazing, go for the gusto. I mean, it was this, it was way too positive in some ways, like unrealistically so, and, uh, And then you come into the 90s where it was like everybody had busted their ass in the 80s and now we're coming down, you know what I mean, from that high. And uh, so the 90s for me, here I moved to the city, you know, it's kind of, it definitely was like the best of times and the worst of times because I moved here in like 92 and I didn't have any money. I didn't have any hope. I was just like, I mean, I had a lot of hope. Don't get me wrong. But I had nowhere to start. I had a lot of fantasy in my head, fueled by 1980s movies, about what the music scene looked like, what being a writer was going to be like, um, even what being a college student was going to be like. And let me tell you, kids, it even if it looks like something in the movies, it doesn't feel like that when you're living it. And that's the irony of this book, Chicago Stories, is when I finally sat down and wrote all these stories over and over and over, because editing, um, but when I finally started writing all these stories, it's just so ironic that um, the best stories come when you don't think that you're living it at all, you know, when you don't think that life is anything good. I mean, these were like, these stories were born out of my hardest times in the city, but that's when the magic happened. 
you know? It's like, there's that old saying, um, life happens while you're busy making other plans. Well, I had this plan about how fame was going to look and how I was going to achieve it. And, you know, that 80s mentality, I'm going to shoot for the moon, man, and, you know, all that stuff. And it didn't look like that at all. It didn't feel like that. And the funny thing is, like I said, that's when the stories come. I had this like really deep epiphany (laughs) one time, and it was like pathetic and yet, I guess, affirming at the same time. I'm in Hawaii, I'm at the old Magnum P.I. beach where they filmed the first Magnum P.I. And I'm in, there's this like natural uh, tidal pool that's over there. So I'm paddling around and I start to cry because I'm really overwhelmed. I was starting my business. Nothing was going exactly as I thought. I was really scared about my future. And I was in Hawaii visiting my brother because I really missed him and hadn't seen him in so many years. And um, so I'm swimming in this little tidal pool by myself. And I'm like, you know, God, when am I going to start living the miracle? When is it going to happen for me? And then it dawned on me, this is it. This is it, Callie. This is the miracle. This is like, oh, shit. And that's when I realized, like, when you're having some of your best, like the moments that everyone else perceives as being so amazing, you're not always feeling amazing inside. Um, I remember Marvin Hamlish talking about when he won, I don't like one of his first Grammy Awards. And he went home that night and like cleaned his cat box and, you know, made himself a drink. And it wasn't one of his, I mean, he didn't, it wasn't a, you know, an amazing, like, it was more like, okay, I did this thing. Oh, you know what I mean? And, uh, and it's funny, because again, these six degrees of separation that we all have, and I always really admired Marvin Hamlish. Um, When I was a kid, I thought I wanted to do musical theater. As I got older, I realized not so much. But I really loved his music. I mean, that's the music I grew up on with, you know, all of his wonderful tunes. I mean, he did their plan our song and all that stuff. And so long story short, I've had a couple of really weird brushes. These are not, these are the stories that didn't get in the book because they weren't enough to me of, of big juicy stories um, or even short juicy stories. They were just more like moments. But I'm walking out of this musical that he had written that didn't really do well. It was more of a play that I think had a couple songs something like that. And it was about Mae West's life. And so they were sort of like premiering it in Chicago to see if how it ran. And so we're walking out of the theater and I see this guy wearing this members only jacket. My first thought is, oh my God, my dad had one of those in the 80s. It was like this fake leather bomber brown jacket. Maybe it was real leather, but it had a very stylized look with like the snaps and everything. So then I see this guy and I'm like, ugh what the heck? And then I realize, oh my God, that guy's Marvin Hamlish. So I'm like, here's my chance. I'm right behind him. I'm right behind him. So I pat him on the back and he turns around and looks at me like utterly shocked. And um, this is my dog. I told you he would put in his two cents. So Klinger, his name's Klinger. Zip it. So Marvin Hamlish turns around utterly in shock and I'm like, Thanks for a great evening of theater, Mr. Hamlish. And he's like, 
oh, well, thank you very much. And like shook my hand and was really nice. And uh, I was like, oh my God, I just met Marvin Hamlish. I mean, when you're a little girl and all you're doing is listening to Marvin Hamlish and theater songs and, you know, very much, um, you know, thinking about like Barbara Streisand and all that stuff. I mean, this is a guy who worked with her. And so... It was like one of those like magical moments for me, but more for me, like you're listening to and thinking, oh, how nice, but here's another freaky deaky thing that happened. So I opened my salon. It's real quiet one day. I think I'm the only person working because it's a new salon. And this girl comes in and she's kind of quiet. And I said, wow, you know, you seem kind of bum, like you just lost your best friend. She looks at me kind of shocked and she's like, well... It's like I did. And she said, I had a really wonderful boss. Are you at all into music? And I said, yeah, totally. She goes, well, do you know who Marvin Hamlish is? And I was like, "Um, yes, I do. And she was like, that was my boss. And then she told me this really sad story about he just wasn't feeling good. And he and his wife were kind of back and forth about whether he was going to go get it checked on or go into the hospital or what was going on. And they were kind of dragging their feet. And while they, you know, he dragged his feet going into the hospital, he died. And uh, and she lost her job, obviously. She was his assistant. And so I was just like, it's just weird. You know, here I am. Also, if you knew where my salon was, it's in the farthest reaches of Chicago city limits. I am on Howard Street. It's one of the rougher, tougher streets in the city of Chicago, let alone the north side. So just the fact that this, you know, this person ends up sitting in my chair, it was just so weird. So I have many, like, little stories like that, that maybe someday they'll go in some other book with something else. But, you know, those are just, it's one of those things that I really... Everybody enjoys having those connections. And that's the thing. Everybody's met somebody. Even if you think you haven't, you've been at a car show or you've been at a concert or I've found the majority of people have had some kind of brush with celebrity, you know, and you met one of the bears, you know, you went to Ditka's, whatever. And those are always really fun. So my goal is that when you read this book, which definitely is a love letter to Chicago. But you're also going to remember your very special moments that you've met or like people you've met or things you've done. And if nothing else, hopefully I'll be really entertaining for you. Um, I think we need another song. I really wish I had that Captain of My Heart song for you guys because you'd be like, oh my God, you're right. If you were from the 80s. Um Oh, you know what another story is in there that you're going to love too is, uh, well, there's like a million stories. I think next podcast, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you all the topics of the stories so you can get all like prepared for what you like. Um, I'm going to keep it simple tonight and I'm going to, I'm going to let you hear another one of these songs that's really hard to find from the Bliss Band, Stage Fright, um, because I just think it's a good song. So let's uh let's crank it up. Kind of yacht rocky, you know. Get prepared. Tell a stupid joke. 
All right, guys. Lunatic Fringe, Callie, your host. And if you want to look up the Bliss Band, Neon Smiles, check them out on YouTube. I'm sure you can find them there. And I look forward to our next podcast together. Have a good one.